0: This is an RNZ podcast. Namihi mihi nui. I'm Alison Balance and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. We're marking 70 years since the rediscovery of the takahe. Takahe, of course, are one of New Zealand's iconic and threatened giant flightless birds, at the weekend I had the privilege of joining the Department of Conservation and some special guests in Fiordland to mark the significant anniversary for what is New Zealand's longest-running conservation programme. We started off at DOC's Burwood-Bush Takahe area near Te Anau. It's home these days to quite a few birds, and early on Saturday they were in full voice. That's the sound of several pairs of takahe loudly reminding their neighbours that this is their territory. I'll come back to Burwood Bush and the 70th anniversary later on in the show, but first, let's go back in time to the rediscovery. Before humans arrived in New Zealand, there were two widespread species of takahe, North Island and South Island. By the time of European settlement, the North Island species was extinct and the South Island species was very rare indeed. Between 1849 and 1898, just four notornis, as they were commonly called then, were seen. Over the next half century, none. The problem? The usual mix of forest clearance and getting killed, especially by predators, feral cats, ferrets and especially stoats. Most people thought Notornis were extinct, but Invercargill Dr. Geoffrey Orbell wasn't so sure. He was a keen tramper and hunter and had an inkling that there might still be some surviving somewhere in Fiordland. In November 1948, Dr. Orbell headed into a hidden valley in Fiordland's Murchison Mountains. With him was young Joan Telfer, her husband to be Rex Watson, and Neil McCrosty. Joan died recently, but a couple of years ago, she told me the story of their trips together and about rediscovering the Takahe.
1: I always went along. I'd never carried a gun. I was the girl without the gun, but I always seemed to, to go on expeditions and things like that. I was really privileged to have been... When I look back, I realise that, you know, I was blessed having all this wonderful fieldland and with a man who was a leader... He was brilliant, well-read, and when you were out in the field with him, he knew so much about flora and fauna that, um, you know, everything was a lesson to be learnt. It was tremendous, wonderful time. So these were mostly little hunting trips you were going on? Yes, yes. I can remember the ones I enjoyed were... He adapted an old car, and it was called the Swamp Buggy, and we would all pile on board and drive up along the Yupakarora stream looking for a pig. I used to love that outing, but then there were so many more. Always something to do in that area. It's a fantastic place. It's just a paradise for people who like the outdoors. And this was tramping mostly below the bush line, or did you go up above um, the bush line as well? Well, I belonged to the Alpine Club for a while and c- climbed at Homer, so tramping and climbing. And what kind of wildlife were you seeing when you were out in the hills in those days? Birds, mainly, yes. Sometimes a deer, or more than that. I have seen 30 deer in a herd away back, yes, moving from one area to another and, of course, looking for... Takahe, where Doc always said, keep an eye out just in case, because it's a vast area and they could be anywhere. So what did he used to say about the Takahe? Well, he was more or less convinced that it was here somewhere, but he wasn't sure because there were so many stories. And he had um, listened to everybody who talked about the bird in the past. Even from when he was quite young, I understand, he showed an interest and he suspected they were in the Murchison Mountains. Of yeah. course, we called it Natornis. Natornis, Natornis. So we're talking about the 1940s here? 1948, Easter was when they went in deers talking. I didn't go for that trip. I don't know why, but probably I was into sport or something for that weekend. But um, my husband, Neil McCrostey, and Dr. Orbell went into the Murchison Mountains. They hadn't been. In before you see, so they're right up on the top, looking, looking down, down on this. On this yes, hidden and lake, really. this beautiful lake, which was called the Lake of the Friendless. The Maoris called it that, and um, the valley didn't have a name. Now the lake is Lake Orbell, and the valley is Taki Valley. But
0: in those days, it was the Lake of the Friendless.
1: Yes, yes, it's beautiful, beautiful lake. I saw deer, so they climbed down. And shot one deer, my husband Rex, he went down to the lake to have a drink and saw some footprints. And he called Doc over and Doc always had a pipe. And with that he scratched the length of toes on this and got in touch with Dr Fowler and Professor Sharples and they all decided it was a white heron. So that that was that, but not Doc. He had a feeling it was more than that. He'd heard an odd bird call while they were in there, something unusual, and thought that might, it was inspecting or going in and investigating again. Were they all quite excited when they came out? Oh yes, quite excited, or Doc was, but I think Neil and Rex... Um, it was just another expedition, you know. They weren't so sure about everything. And um, it was co- very cold winter with snow well down, so there was no way that they could go in until it was the 19th of November. And I was invited along. <laughs> we had netting, fishnet. I can't remember how many yards of fishnet to um, catch the birds. I would hope to catch the birds. But we left at 3.30 in the morning, you know, conditions on the lake were ideal and uh, the sun came up and everything was bright red. It was gorgeous scene. It was brilliant. And we had breakfast on board and we tied the boat up very near the entrance to the glowworm caves and then climbed up and up and up through um, rock, windfalls, beautiful beach forest. It was. A very difficult climb. It took about three hours. And we came out just by the stream with a, at the outlet onto a flat area, which was covered by boxwood and snowgrass. Snowgrass was deep. It was right up to our waist. It was huge. Wonderful cover for birds. And Doc said, follow me and don't talk and only hand movements. So we walked only a very short distance ..through this grass, And um, Doc crouched and put, put his finger up to say he could see one bird. So we were all crouching and peering. And through the snow grass, I caught a glimpse of the bright red beak. Then he put two fingers up and there was a, a mate, a pear. So with that, he gave us orders quietly to put the netting in a semicircle... Around, and then quietly and very slowly. The birds weren't disturbed at all. We were so cautious, and we slowly drove them into the net. I looked down, there was the bird, and I thought, I have to do my thing. (laughs) So I crouched down and grabbed it. I was almost throttling it, (laughs) but I wasn't going to let it go. It was well trapped in the netting, and somebody came along and helped to release it.
0: So when you had that one in your hands, what were you thinking, apart from I'm not going to
1: run away? Oh, this is it. I was overwhelmed. We've got it. You know, I couldn't believe it. And it's a beautiful bird. It's a brilliant bird. And so they were taken down to the beach. We had what we call lunch, but it was only half past nine. We couldn't believe our good fortune. We expected to be in the valley all day and not see a bird. And so we were overwhelmed as I haven't got the Time magazine but the Time magazine said we returned in ornithological ecstasy I love that <laughs> it was world news it was that and Doc knew that Doc said that at the time he said now <clears throat> as soon as we'd caught them and released them he said now we've got to get to Invercargill to the paper and spread the news and it did it just went it just panicked from everywhere. People asked for articles and um, talk yeah, to talk to groups and so on, and it was a great time because everyone had thought it was extinct. Yes, yes, they did, yes. and you'd rediscovered it. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> it was, yeah. and this National Geographic. You see, it was in all the magazines, the best magazines, you know, the, the glossy magazines. What struck you most about the bird when you first saw it? Oh, the colour. The size and, and the colour. It would be like a rooster, about as standing, as t- tall as a rooster. But it had this magnificent beak, and then all the beautiful colouring down the back, and then a white tail. It was amazing. Spectacular in every way. Oh, you couldn't miss them in amongst the green grass, in amongst the tussock and so on.
0: What did Dr. Feller think? Well, in January,
1: uh, Dr. Feller organised a party, and there were ten of us. I was the only female. Again? <laughs> but all the best of, of the men. And it um, wasn't the Department of Conservation, I think it was Internal Affairs in those days with Dr. Orbell. And we were in there for a week, in t- living in tents and exploring, and um, we actually saw 50 birds, but Dr Fowler thought there would be 100. Thought there must be, you know, because we spread out and we walked the valley up and down, and we were counting and doing all. That was another enjoyable occasion. And did you ever go
0: into the Murchison's again after that? Yes,
1: I've been in by helicopter on um, two occasions. The 50th, Neil... McCrosty, Rex Watson, Joan Watson, and Dr. Orbell. Yes, we, we went in by helicopter. Was so. it nice to go back? Oh, great. And, and then later, I can't remember
0: the occasion, I think the family all decided we should go in. That was Joan Watson, recalling the time she, her husband Rex Watson, and Neil McCrosty and Geoffrey Orbell rediscovered the Takahay 70 years ago this week. None of the original rediscovery party are still alive but Doc decided to celebrate instead with some of their children and that's what we're off to do now. The plan for the day is to fly into the Murchison Mountains to release a pair of takahe and the families will get a chance to visit the famous Takahe Valley. Back at Burwood Bush, Ranger Glenn Greaves is catching two young takahe and putting them carefully into travel boxes.
2: So we've got a male called Dore, D-O-R-E, who's uh, named after Famous Explorer, and the second bird, the female, is called Tohaw. One was reared at Burwood Takahe Centre, uh, the other one came from an island in Fovo Strait, and they've been paired together for the last couple of months in a pen.
0: Among the family members watching are Rex and Joan Watson's children.
2: So I'm Hunt Watson. I'm the oldest of Jonah Rex
3: Watson's family. I'm Paula Potu, Nee Watson, and I'm the youngest.
0: So what do you all reckon when you get a chance to stand here and look at Takahe like that? Yeah.
2: Hmm,
3: it's just, it's,
2: this is a very emotional time.
0: It's the
3: ending of my parents' era with the Takahe, but the beginning of the children and grandchildren, I think. Yes.
0: Have you been into Takahe Valley before?
3: Never know, it's closed, so I haven't had the opportunity. Never. So that's even more exciting to see where they actually stood and where they where they actually found them.
0: Before we leave Burwood Bush, it has a very interesting history. These days, doc staff fondly refer to it as their Takahai farm. Twenty-five pairs of birds are housed in large, predator-free outdoor pens full of their favourite food tussock, and pretty much left to their own devices to breed and hopefully produce lots of new takahae. Burwood bush was set up in the mid-1980s. At the time there was only a small and steadily declining population of wild takahae. They were found only in Fiordland's Murchison Mountains, and there was just a hundred or so birds, down from an estimated population of two to four hundred when Doc Orbell and the team rediscovered them. For about 25 years, Burwood Bush was home to an intensive captive-rearing effort to raise chicks from surplus eggs collected in the wild in Fiordland. They could do this because takahe lay two eggs, but almost only ever raise one chick. The chicks were reared using puppets to ensure they didn't imprint on people, and over 25 years, more than 300 takahe were released. They went either to safe new island homes all around the country or back into Fiordland to boost the wild population. But it turned out there was a problem. The hand-read birds successfully adapted to life in the wild and survived well, but they weren't nearly as good as wild birds at being parents and raising chicks. The puppet rearing was stopped and the takahe farm idea successfully kicked off. Each year now, there are about 25 birds to find homes for. And Dor and Toho are in a helicopter en route to Tors Ridge, just over the lake from Tiano. As the chopper lands, we can hear the birds in their travel boxes calling. It seems they can't wait to be let free in their new home. To describe this amazing landscape, Glenn?
2: Yeah, it's a beautiful place here, quite special. Uh, we've got a ridge of, of limestone outcrops here, sort of spurs of rock jutting out into the sky. It's, it's incredible, especially on a day like this where you can, you can see the lake um, in the background in the township of Te ano. Um So, this, this territory has historically always held at least one pair of takahe, but it's currently empty, so it's a perfect place to release these birds.
3: Well, they've got a nice home to go see these birds.
2: Okay, so undo the latches. Who knows how they'll react when they come out of the box. Some of them just take off, other ones will come out quite slowly. Okay on
0: three. One,
2: two, three. Oh, oh baby. One.
3: Wow, the beautiful. Okay. Oh, look, a oh, big area. The future's you. They're looking quite calm, aren't they? Oh, I think so. I think they look resettled and beautiful day, so they should be happy. Oh, that's lovely. So it's like a new playground. Wow. Look at
1: that,
3: Where they go. That's fun. And lovely to see the birds running that miles, and miles away. I think they're out of sight now. Yeah, they're out of sight. That's right.
2: I'll have a good look around, um, see if there are any other birds here. Once we leave, they'll start calling and trying to find their, their territory again.
0: While Dor and Toho explore and settle into their new home, we hop over the hill to Takahē Valley, where I get a chance to catch up with Jeffrey Orbell's daughters and hear their recollections of the rediscovery.
3: Hi, I'm Lindley. Lindley Chatteris now, Doc Orbell's oldest daughter. I'm Mary, Lindley's sister. Second run in nine. The day it happened, I, was, I must have been eight, I must have been eight or nine, and I can remember father had a boat called the Mariner and it was varnished. And this varnished yeah. boat went round okay. and round and round. Yeah, circles. I remember the boat? Yes, going round and about, round outside the yeah. boat harbour. So he was doing celebratory laps. He did, yes, bo- yes he did. And he came in and the furore afterwards internationally. Was absolutely incredible. Uh, there was just telegrams because that's the day of the telegrams, and there were you people interviewing people, and you know it was just went on and on and on. It was it was quite spectacular, really, oh. and that's why my mother, many years hence, when there was still a hoo-ha, and she was in her 90s, kept saying, "I'm sick of that
0: damn bird,"
3: mm. <laughs> but she was only joking about it.
0: And you've been into Tarrahae Valley before, haven't you? Yes. I came in at, I
3: would be late teens or very early twenties, flew in and then walked out. So I stayed, we stayed at night or so in the hut, which I'm sure is still the same. I came in once with father and mother and it was the first time she came in with Joan and Rex. And it's been a privilege to have our grandchildren and our children walk up here and thoroughly enjoy it as well. I think that's quite special.
0: Doc's Glenn Greaves manages a team of rangers looking after takahe, which are now spread across the Murchison Mountains and 19 other sites around the country, including Goulin Downs on the popular Hiwi Track in Kahurangi National Park. Let's catch up with him to find out a bit more about how the population is doing overall, especially how many takahe there are now.
2: So we've got a pretty close estimate of around 376, so somewhere between 370 and 380 we think. So it's up about 10% from last year's population, which is a really good, really good year.
0: Now tell me about that Kaharangi release. Why have you moved birds up to Northwest Nelson?
2: So we've got a good problem where we've got too many birds at our current sites. So we're really looking for to create new sites, and rather than small offshore islands, we're really looking for large mainland sites now. And that's what Kaharangi really provides. Goulin Downs is a large site of about 3,500 hectares of tussock and nearly predator-free, so it's a perfect site for, for takahe, we think. How many birds did you release there? So we've released 30. They've been there now six months and all are still alive and pretty much all within the downs themselves have stayed put, which is a really great sign. And last week we found the first nest. So, how many eggs in this first nest? So that that nest had three eggs, now which that's is a only... bit odd for today. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So this is actually a trio. So we've got an excess of females at that site. There are more females than males, and so what's happened is we've got a couple of pairs that have an additional female adult with them. So yeah, we may actually have four eggs by the time we go back and have another look.
0: So any idea whether those eggs might be fertile?
2: No, they were too young to determine for sure. I think the oldest. Eldest egg was around four days. But we'll know for certain in a couple of weeks when we do another field trip up there.
0: Now, thinking about stoats, because they're the main predator, what have stoat numbers been like in the Murchison Mountains?
2: So they've they've dropped back to, to probably the lowest level that's, that's ever been there since we've been monitoring them. But they did peak um, over last summer and early autumn. We did lose a few adult takahe to stoat predation, unfortunately.
0: And what's this coming year looking like?
2: We're expecting a big rat plague, um, beach, the beech trees are flowering really heavily at the moment, so unfortunately that means uh, next, next summer we'll have high rat numbers, which will lead on to high stoat numbers the following year. On the good side, we've got uh, quite intensive trapping control, predator control in the Murchison Mountains now.
0: Now today we released two birds, and how many more birds are you going to release into the Murchison Mountains this year?
2: Uh, so we've got another 18 birds to be released uh, next week, Wednesday, uh, weather-dependent, um, so that'll that'll boost the population to around the 150 mark, which is fairly close to carrying capacity.
0: Thanks Glenn. That was Doc Takahe Ranger, Glenn Greaves. I'm Alison Balance, and this Hour Changing World podcast, first aired on RNZ on the 22nd of November, 2018. Online we live at rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. You'll find this story there, the audio as well as a written feature and photos and useful links. We are also a podcast. We are free and are in all the usual places that podcasts live. Other current RNZ podcasts to look out for are Black Sheep, which is about New Zealand history, and Two Cents Worth which is a weekly chat about things to do with business and the economy. You might also like to check out Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower. You'll find us on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Kia pai tō rā. Botox Cosmetic, out toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call eight seven seven three five one zero three zero zero. 351 300 Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.